Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Brian Kramer, and we'll explore the art and science of social sharing. Yes, there is a combination of both, and I really think you'll enjoy today's interview. Also, if you ever want to reach out to me, you can email me directly at podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. With that, let's transition over to today's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week I've joined by Eric Fisher and we're going to talk about ways to make it easier for you to read using your desktop computer when you're on your favorite website like Social Media Examiner. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm good and my favorite website is Social Media Examiner. It darn better be. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... The first thing we're going to talk about is the newest version of Firefox has this. Uh, for those that use Firefox, you might notice that when you put in an article, there's a little thing that looks like an open book in your URL, and it's uh, colored, kind of like a, I think it starts gray, and then when you go into it, it turns uh, orange. But if you pull up any particular article and you click on this little open book that shows up in the URL um, in Firefox and Safari has a similar thing and it looks like a bunch of lines. What's really cool about this is this will kind of clean up the article for you. It will remove all the graphics that are in the sidebar. It will allow you to change the font size, bigger or smaller. It'll even allow you to turn on, um, sepia or change the background color to dark. If you're in a dark space and it's easier on your eyes and it will allow you to just essentially very quickly, consume a longer article without being distracted by all the things like animated ads and all that other chaos that you often see when you're on a website. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is something that Eric's discovered. Eric, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, what I found is called Squirt, which you can find at squirt.io. And what this is, is a bookmarklet and you, you basically install the book, the book marklet by dragging it into your Chrome or Firefox or Safari browser bookmark bar. And then you go and visit a web page you want to read and click that book marklet. And then suddenly you see this overlay of Squirt, which is – it displays the words of the article using an optical uh, – sorry, an optimal recognition point or ORP. What that means is that it – helps you to focus in on a single spot on the words. And then those words fly by and the text is absorbed much quicker. It enables you to speed read. What's interesting about this is Eric kind of had to show this to me before we recorded this because I needed to see it with my own eyes. And basically what it has is it has a little um, scroll bar and it tells you about how long it would take to read the article, right? Like we pulled up an article and I think it said seven or eight minutes and you can decrease or increase the amount of time that it's going to take to read the article. And what it does is it pulls up one word at a time, kind of in rapid succession, right? And the word is centered on the screen and, and, and basically you just kind of train your eye to look at that one spot on the screen and the words just pop right there on the screen. Now, Eric, have you used this to actually read articles? 
I did. Before I installed it, I said, okay, before I even install this thing, I got to know if it's going to work for me. And so there was an article there, and they said it was going to take about three or four minutes to go through. And I looked at it, I set it up, and I just casually glanced at just that optimal recognition point of the words going by. And I I felt like I was actually uh, passively reading, but going so much quicker. It was almost like getting in the zone when you're running or biking or something. But you still so, felt like you understood what you read, right? I understood the whole the, the whole article. I, I really enjoyed it, actually. So, okay, let's step back. You said this thing is a bookmarklet, and I think some people won't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means. So what is that exactly? <laughs> you know what? I technically don't even know what that means. I think what it means is literally it's, it's a bookmark that changes the functionality of whatever page it is you're currently on. So when you install this thing, does it show up kind of in your um, web browser as like a, a function that you just click on or something like that? Yeah, definitely. And it looks like a little squirt, right? Yes. Yeah, so, it's a little drop. So where do you find... Well, first of all, for those that uh, want to use the first thing that I mentioned, Firefox or Safari, um, you just have to up- update to the, one of the newer versions of Firefox and Safari probably has had this for quite some time. Um as far as Squirt, where where do people find it, and is it free? What does it cost? Yeah, it's free. You just go with a, with your favorite browser, go to squirt.io, and you can install it for free. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. Let's transition over to today's interview with Brian Kramer. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Brian Kramer. If you don't know who Brian is, he's a social strategist and founder of Pure Matter, a social media agency. His first book is called Human to Human. And as a matter of fact, he was a guest on this podcast when that book came out. And his brand new book is called Shareology, How Sharing is Powering the Human Economy. Brian, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. So um, today, Brian and I are going to explore social sharing, what, 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 you know, powers it, why it matters to marketers. So let's start with the book. Brian, why did you decide to write another book? And why is this one called Shareology? (laughs) You know, I actually have been working on this book since before I wrote H to H, Human to Human. So this is my original book I was working on and H to H was a surprise baby. Um, so surprise I, baby, uh, I like that. <laughs> I ended up um, uh, was uh, setting this book aside um, and continuing forward with the H to H philosophy because it was a part of who and what I've been talking about for the last twelve or so years. It just seemed to resonate more in the last year and a half to two years. So I set this aside, and actually, it worked out really well because um, because I think. Human really provides the platform best used for sharing, not the other way around. And so, the way that it actually ended up, I couldn't, I couldn't have marketed it better, marketed it better myself. So, this new book, what has it been? About two years in the making. Yeah, yeah, two years. So, shareology. I mean, what's the idea behind the name? Talk to us about that a little bit. Um, it's the so it's it's the study really of how, what, when, where, and why people and brands share. And, um, and I, I'm fascinated by it. It's, it's, it's literally something that I personally, 
um, am have always been fascinated by as as a as a as, as a self proclaimed um, uh, anthropologist of people. I, I am very interested in why people share and what they share, and I think for the most part, we've never really taken the time as um, as humans to figure out. Um, um, and teach each other why why to share and why we have shared. I think one of the things that um, uh, you know, I always ask audiences, and they always I never have a, a, a hand raised or hardly ever um, when I ask them what class they took on sharing, and um, and and literally, um, you know, the last time I think somebody remembers is when they were in kindergarten, you know, and, uh, learning how to share their toys. Mm. Um, uh, otherwise, it's not really something that we teach in schools. It's not something that it's it's a skill that you learn on top of school. Um, other than, you know, I was a communications major. I think you were a speech major, if I'm not mistaken. I was, but it was under the communications umbrella for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there, but it's not a focus. And, and I think that, um, you know, sharing comes in so many different flavors, especially now. I mean, I know that, you know, recently Meerkat is a new flavor in Periscope, but there's so many flavors out there of sharing um, that it just intrigues me as to how it's evolved over time. So that's what it focuses on is the evolution of sharing. It's the past, present, and the future. And by the way, Mike, thanks for your your interview because you are in the future part, the future chapter of sharing. Awesome. Well, you know, it's funny if you think about People like you and I are old in in the eyes of millennials, right? (laughs) If you think about what it was like when we were kids, how were people sharing? They were like bringing home photocopies of like uh, funnies or whatever, comics, right, from the office or or they were um, photocopying... or, or, or cutting articles out of newspapers and my grandparents used to mail them to me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you remember exactly getting right. that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah, like totally. today that seems so strange, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, uh, paper clips were used. We used, <laughs> right? Your, your, your comic, I, I got that from my grandpa. He used to paper clip an article and send me a little note in the mail. And, um, and when was the last time we used a paper clip to send something? That's right. Right now we use paper clips to kind of like Jimmy things free. <laughs> so, so let's talk about it. I mean, um, why do people share? Let's start at the big umbrella before we get into social media in particular. What is the underlying motivation as to why we share? Right. That that's and that is the fundamental question. Right. Um, the uh, so I I did over 250 interviews with executives, marketers, um, social media people, um, just just uh, and, and an array of people, linguistics professors um, of of psychology, sociology, all across the board with that one question in mind, and um, and and basically organized um, so many different. Um, ways and and reasons and it really came down to one thing and the answer um that 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 basically came out of all of those interviews is connection that at the end of the day people want to connect with one or more of other people that that we all have this desire as humans to actually reach out and 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 connect with somebody whether it's through sharing content and having someone reply back or it's sharing other people's content and and helping them out and there's actually there's categories that that are built into the book around all this but it, at the end of the day it's it's connection it's it, there isn't anyone out there who does not want to connect interesting so if i can unravel this a little bit 
what I think I hear you saying is that at a fundamental level, when we see something that we think is interesting, we might share it with someone who we think would find it valuable, right? So I'm talking one-to-one now, right? So like I read an article about these um, hackers in Russia that were doing some interesting things and I sent it off to someone who I knew was interested in those kind of things because I wanted to, because in my brain I said, you know what, this is something so-and-so needs to read. Now that is a connection that happened between me and that person and probably planted a little equity between me and that person because I now just gave a little goodwill to someone who probably hadn't seen something before and made a connection with them. Now, I don't know, am I extrapolating too much here? Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, that's exactly it. There, there, there are do- so many different uh, connection points. There are six types of, of, con- of people in the ways that they connect, in the ways that they share let's with other people. Yeah, let's talk so about this. Those. Okay, so the six six ways. The first one is the altruists, the people that share something totally specific around one topic all the time. The second one is the careerists. The careerists are the ones that actually uh, want to become thought leaders in their own space so that they can see their own career grow. Now, that doesn't mean they only share their own stuff. They can share other people's stuff as well. The other, the third one is the hipsters. Now, you can throw... Um, uh, you can throw millennials in this bucket. The hipsters are the ones that actually like to try things for the first time and share it faster than anyone else does. Um, the people that got the Apple Watch and actually shared it really fast. Mm. Um, you know, the people that really like to be the first come first for serve. Kind of like Brian, Robert Scoble would be the hipster, right? In our industry. Totally. Brian, that, uh, Brian, that guy is constantly breaking all the new stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, he's he's first to it, and that's exactly what his job, what he desires. He's a good friend of mine. That he'll tell you the first thing he wants to do is be the first on the scene to anything that is happening right away, and be able to sh- to share it out with everyone else. Okay, before we go, he, he, before we go too far, so the, say what the altruist one was again. So the altruist is somebody who shares something specific. Uh, it's a category that they're interested in, and that's all they share. So um, let's say somebody is just interested in CNN, and all they share is stuff about CNN because they're 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 totally into the news. Or maybe it's just social media. Right. Um, you know, it could be one category or the other. Or maybe they're just in a I don't know, like um, uh, NASA in the space, right? And everything they they share is space related. Is what exactly. you're saying. Now, exactly. now, when we talk about the altruist who is into sharing something specific, the careerist who's desiring to establish themselves as a thought leader and maybe get a future career out of this, and the hipster who wants to share new and quick, and I know these are only the first three, but the idea about all of these is they're doing these in a public way, right? They're not doing this just one-to-one. This is one-to-many. Is that right? So far. Okay. Yes. Now cool. we're going to get to ones that don't, but yes, so far these are uh, these are sharers that that operate in a public way. Although that doesn't, it's not defined just by public. It's how we share both offline and online. Okay. So what are the other three? So the other three, the fourth one is a boomerang, and this is one of my. Uh, I think it's one of the most interesting ones because a boomerang somebody throws a question out there um, so that they can receive a comment only to re- reply. They're ready and willing to uh, – they're throwing the question knowing they're going to get to respond to something. Uh, right? To get a reply. Gotcha. Okay. Now, you can also look at a boomerang like a troll. 
Because a troll, for the most part, will say something only to get a response that they can reply to. So it, it, it can be a positive or a negative situation. Mm, okay. Now, the fifth one's a connector. And the connector, in which I like to think I am, is, is, is a person who likes to connect one or more uh, people to each other. And that's what they're dedicated to. They love connecting people. All right. This, this is the yeah. last one. Go ahead. And the last one's a selective. Now, the selective is the observer. Now, some people have actually put the word lurker to it, um, but I prefer to say observer because a lot of, I think a lot of people aren't, aren't that interested in sharing. I think the majority of the internet is, is, is an observer, um, if you will, and, and, and out there watching what other people are doing. That doesn't make them bad. But at the same time, they're selectively uh, picking pieces and perhaps DMing or private messaging other people. This is the private uh, category where they're 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 uh, uh, sending that information privately um, because they it's like clipping a newspaper and sending it to you. Yep, yep, yep. So we've got this boomerang, which is the person that throws a question out there with the intent of getting a response, and that could be a troll, but not necessarily. And we've got the connector who likes to connect people to each other, and that's probably something that can happen in private as well. But I would imagine it could be public too, where so and so says, "Hey, if you need a developer, this guy's the guy," right? And then you've got the selective person, which is uh, an observer, often passive, can be a lurker, um, and is private. Now, are these mutually exclusive categories, or can we kind of ebb and flow in and out of them? Absolutely. We all ebb and flow. All right. Um, now, now the, the, the thing is, is that we tend to lean towards one, but we definitely ebb and flow to others. Mm. So so if you pointed to one like like you you just said Robert Scoble, he he definitely leans towards being a hipster. But th- that doesn't mean he's not a careerist or a selective. Mm. Um he can he can bounce in and out of those. It's not mutually exclusive. Well, I would imagine how would you classify yourself, Brian? You know, I think I bounce in and out of all of them, but I am for sure a connector. I love I probably make more introductions to people um, every day than I do anything else. Um, and so I, I tend to think I am a connector, but you know, the thing about this is that, um, you know, it's what other people think, not what I think. So um, I'd ask you what you <laughs> Well, what it's you intriguing. I have to think through this because obviously under underlying each one of these categories is motivation, right? So obviously each one of these categories, there is some sort of motivation that is empowering people to want to be this way, right? Yeah. So you could argue even though I'm the CEO of Social Media Examiner, I actually don't, at least on my personal Facebook profile, I don't share a lot of my own stuff. You know what I mean? Right. I only share my podcast once in a while. So I'm definitely not altruistic because I'm not out there constantly sharing Facebook stuff. I'm definitely not careerist because I don't desire to establish myself as a thought leader, although some people may classify me that way. I definitely maybe once in a blue moon can be a little hipster only because if I do see something kind of new and exciting, I will share it. Um, Sometimes I'm a boomerang because I just ask open-ended questions because I like dialogue. And if I had to pick something, I'd probably say I'm a little more selective, you know? Um, I'd agree with you on that. You know, and I do share my, I do share my private life only with my friends on Facebook, which we are connected to on Facebook. So, and, and my intention there is for people to get to know the human being, you know what I mean? Yep. And um, I would say you do a little bit of that yourself, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I, I think. But um, different channels, different, different strategies, right? So that's, that's where like on Twitter, if you only analyzed me on Twitter, it'd be a totally different analysis. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and that's where you start getting into you know the body language of each person and how each platform starts to shape the little uh, you know idiosyncrasies of who you are. And um and and I get into that into the future of how you know technology can start to shape and guess a little bit more towards um, things that you might pick ahead of you picking them. So Watson and the I, I interviewed the chief scientist of Watson um, Analytics and Watson the the computer that uh, defeated um, you know in Jeopardy the the other right. players. That's that's and, part the, of IBM, right? That's right, and and it's it's fascinating what's coming um, because the computer system Watson will be able to tweet in a way that you'll never know that it's a person or a computer, and um, and and it's kind of scalable too because if you think about it, that's kind of scary. We, <laughs> it's totally scary because if you think about it, like there's no way that your team, and I know you have a really thorough team, and you you have one of the best teams actually, but w- w- there isn't any way possible that they could tweet a thousand people with a thousand different issues at your conference at the same time. Right. That's a good point. It's an impossibility, but a computer system can do that if it's programmed in the right way with the right questions. So um, if we can, as humans, be able to input into the computer the situations or scenarios, the idea is, as, as a computer system, it can respond and answer a thousand things at the same time and solve a, a thousand different issues. That's really intriguing. Now, getting back to the social sharing side of this, it's obvious that if we are all marketers, which we all are, who are listening to this show, there are certain people that we really want to share our stuff. Like, obviously, we want... Um, somebody who is um, careerist in our space to share our stuff, right? And if we're sharing new stuff, we want the hipsters too. Um, I, w- I would imagine um, knowing how people share, we can almost create content that plays to certain kinds of people. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, um, that's exactly right. So there is, um, there's a lot of case studies on this and I, and I talk a lot about, um, actually brands and how they've, um, how they've, they've designed campaigns around this, um, as well in, in the book. But what there's a, there's an example, um, that I give like around McDonald's and how McDonald's actually, um, tried it. They, so this is a, just by the way, I want to make sure I tell you, uh, th- this is a report by the customer insight group from New York times that produced this report two years ago. So I didn't come up with these categories just to make sure that I'm okay, them cool. up. but, um, but, but this, what, what happened is McDonald's put together, um, uh, two different campaigns. They did one campaign that was designed around the hipsters. The, the hipsters were the first come the likers. They wanted to engage. They were, they were, they were all over the place when they released, um, information around, um, coupons and, and discounts that, uh, that McDonald's had. And then they did a different campaign around health and they, they designed it around selectives, um, the people that weren't responding, the the observers, and and it was around um, more informational inf- uh, stuff. So the selectives weren't actually liking a lot, but what ended up happening is they started to trace back which one actually resonated more to which campaign. Um, the selectives won out because the selectives never liked or never engaged before. And when they did, it's like everyone listened to them because, well, gosh, if they never speak, then they must be more trusted because we're used to hearing these guys over here. Um, you know, the, the Ooh, hipsters, they yeah. talk all the that's a big. That's so, a big thing I want to zoom in on because I'm guessing these selectives is the vast majority of people, right? Because what, what I know about social psychology and, and just years of doing this is that it's the few 
right? I mean, like I know how many people visit our website. It's millions, right? And I know that we don't have millions that are sharing. It's the minority that shares. So, um, but if these people that don't normally share very much share, that sends a huge message to their community, doesn't it? Like this must be important, right? That's exactly right. Very, very intriguing. Um, So answer me this. Sherlock, <laughs> is social media uh, an art or a science? The sharing side of it. <laughs> it's both. Um, it's, it's absolutely both. So um, it's, and it's cyclical. There's no start and there's no stop. Um, you can't control a start. You can't, con- well, you, as a brand, you think you can, but you can't. Um, you're, you're jumping on. And the best way that I can describe this is using the metaphor of a wave. And I, I do this all the time with audiences, but, um, but it's the best metaphor because a wave is something like, and when I say the wave, I mean in a sports stadium yeah, yeah. where, um, you know, you, you're, you, you're, you're, you're going around sometimes once, sometimes twice. And, and, um, and if you look at the wave, um, it actually dates back to 19. 19- 1981, when the um, the when it occurred when the Oakland uh, Oakland A's played uh, were in the playoff games against New York Yankees for anyone who cared cares and um, and it was um, organized and led by the professional cheerleader Crazy George Henderson for anybody who remembers him he was kind of kind of popular for being a cheerleader at these games and it was seen on national TV um, on uh, with an audience and captured on film and and 16 uh, days later on Halloween at the University of Washington Seattle uh, another cheerleader did it and and um, and it took off again and then again it did it again um, another 30 days later at a Husky stamp. So anyway, it just continued forward. So not only were these waves happening in the stadiums, the wave started taking off as the wave. And then, um, as you look at it and you ask, um, ask him, he actually has been quoted saying, it took him three years of different forms of modifying it and changing it and involving it until it got to the A's game and actually took off. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to get this thing to work and it took him all forms of you know, art and science to put together to do it. And so that's the same thing with social media. We all think that in this stadium of social platforms or social media channels that, you know, something's just going to go viral um, and and art the art is going to take off or because it's just brilliantly beautiful or the science is going to take off because the analytics are that deep. But um, at the end of the day, it really takes time to build the community as you know better than anybody. Um, you know, you build this thing up for like Crazy George did for three years. And finally, man, the wave takes off. Now, inside the stadium is what is even more impressive because um, as you look at the wave, it's always started by one person. So in every single time a wave took off inside of a stadium, there's always a cheerleader, just like Crazy George. There's always one person who stood up and 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 got the micro community to go, which got a bigger um, area of the stadium to go, which then um, sometimes takes off and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it goes around once and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes 10 times. And so these are the things that we're all trying to play with as we look at the art and the science, the, the cyclical nature of social media. I love this. And I want to share a little story that I don't think I've ever shared publicly. But when we started Social Media Examiner, um, I, knew, I knew that, there was a, that, that um, the art of sh- sharing of our content was going to be essential for us to be successful. And I know that it requires sometimes lots of matches to get a fire started, right? If you kind of use a little bit of the similar analogy to what you're talking about. So in the beginning, I had a lot of volunteer writers and I asked every writer to agree to promote every other writer's content on Twitter. 
And every day that we had an article, I would send a private direct message to every single one of our writers asking them to share the article of the day. And, um, you know, we had in the beginning year or whatever, we had maybe 10 core writers and then eventually more. And everybody shared it across Twitter. And what ended up happening was, I mean, if we just did that and we didn't have good content, it would never succeed. So the magic formula for us was to create exceptional content from day one that was very much more detailed than what everyone else is doing to make sure that the headlines were written in such a way and I have a background in copywriting, so I wrote the headlines in such a way that I knew people would want to read them. And and then to get that core group of people that grew a little bigger um, to agree to share those things. And we did that every single day that we published content for about the first year until eventually we began to see things taking off on their own, just like you were talking about. And now, you know, we get, I don't know, 5,000 shares per article within the first 24 hours every single time. And the reason why is because eventually you build enough credence and credibility with your audience that they're going to share your stuff without even reading it because they trust you. And that ultimately becomes a self-feeding system that we've been using with great success at Social Media Examiner. Now, I don't know if that's just a unique scenario for us or if that's something that you've seen across the board. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. It's you know, so you are the you're the prime example. Everything you just said is exactly what I'm talking about, and um, and it's interesting because what you're also talking about is a human approach. Um, everything that you did took took time for you to to talk to each and every person, right. whether it was your team or you. You built the community, and that's the difference. So that's the what when I what I saw in the book is that everyone's looking for the silver bullet to um, to get shares and and they don't realize the legwork or the 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 real the real challenge of connecting with people and exactly that pivotal point where you went and you you talked to each person you said will you share the other person's content now now you're now you're building a community and the way that you put your the effort into the the science and the art of the titles that went into it and again you manually worked on that and over time the wave started to move mm-hmm. and now it's just moving on its own a little bit more and a little bit more and that's where it becomes art and science and now you're now I, I, I doubt you're just letting it run on its own because it still can continues it continues as a science um, but um, that's where I'm talking about that it's it's cyclical it, it continues um, for for um, forevermore it just gets a lot easier as you go yeah and you know what I mean in the end it is a lot of work I've got seven people on my social team you know so this is not like a, <laughs> this is not just a, you know an automated process it's it's definitely a lot of work so let's talk about where do businesses get it wrong when it comes to social sharing what are some of the common mistakes or misconceptions people have about you know social sharing you know, I think that um, you know it's interesting. One of the things that uh, that that really came across um, clear to me is that, um, and and you'll like this too because because you are so focused on the written word. Um, I think that's the place. I think that people are, um, and, and actually, this came out of of uh, interviews and and research with linguistics. Um, uh, professors and and PhD types. Um, one of them was John McWhorter, who I uh, was able to uh, pull some of his research in his TED talk, and he talked about how um, seeing social and texting as a linguistic miracle of our time, and how social media has changed uh, linguistics. And we've migrated to this, as he calls it, the fingered speech 
era um, where our fingers are talking um, to the point where it looks like we're more human because we're ta- we're, we have to shorten the way that we're talking in a text. So it allows us to write the way we talk. So um, as, here's, the, here's the problem. Companies do not write the way they speak. And so in so doing, they don't, they don't speak the language of the consumer. So if you look at the, how, how us pe- uh, people, the consumers, have changed with, with text messaging and with uh, social media in general and how, how short we're, typing, we're, we're tweeting, our, our, our linguistics, our language is changing. But the companies that are representing um, – or sorry, the brands and the people that are representing those brands – are not changing their language and have and if they focus on things like what you just said the um, the titles and really focusing on what's going to resonate the um, the actual quality of the content or the um, you know there's there's lots of examples in the book over brands that actually did find that shift over just the linguistics and how they talk um, they'll probably start to resonate a little bit more. One thing that I can share with everyone listening that a lot of people don't don't use is the word you and your in their headlines. Um, yeah. how to increase your Facebook traffic, <laughs> you know, um, if I was standing in front of you and I said, um, you know, do you want to know how to increase your Facebook traffic? Of course you're going to say yes. But if I said, do you want to know how businesses can help increase Facebook traffic to their websites? Your eyes might roll back, <laughs> even though it's the exact same thing, right? So right. Um, using keywords that kind of mentally trigger things inside people's brains is really, really interesting. I mean, I hate to even say this, but if you look at some of the headlines used by some of these scamster sites like Gawker, you know what I mean, and others, <laughs> you know, the sites that talk about things that are like National Enquirer kind of stuff, you know, look at what, what kind of language they use, you know, they're almost... You almost, how can you not look, you know, how can you not want to check it out? And, um, and I think that's kind of intriguing. I think another thing that a lot of people underestimate is the importance of visuals in their sharing, Brian. I don't know if you talked about this in the book or not, but on social media in particular, um, I think people want to look good when they share stuff. And I think that when you share something on Facebook, for example, and it pulls in a really attractive looking visual, that's kind of sometimes the first thing that the eye sees, even before the headline. And a lot of people do not think tw- think as much about putting the headline into a graphic and having a really nice graphic created so that it'll show up in the Facebook newsfeed and just pop. And um, I see a lot of publishers that are much larger than us that just use a, a photograph of like a person, but they don't actually put the headline into the graphic. And I think that those that that subtle little move can make a huge difference. Absolutely, and and it, it even goes. Um you know, into uh, just just the visual storytelling of everything that's happening. I mean, you're, you're you've nailed it. I mean, the the visuals, the the memes. Um, you know, Meerkat, Periscope, uh, Snapchat, um, even video in general, and what's happening. And as you know, video just on Facebook and video on YouTube, and um, and and just visually thinking across the board. Um, I think it's eighty six percent of all consumers um, decide. Um, on, on whether they're going to click on something based upon something that's visually stimulating. And, um, and if it's not there, they, they may click past it. And that's a pretty high number. Um, so if, if you're really looking to um, raise the value of your, um, of, of your content, um, visuals is, 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 
it's a must. You can't not have it. Um, I, if you have a blog and there's no visual, um, <laughs> you almost might as well um, shut it down because it's it's really a unless you're Seth Godin, I don't think it's po- it's possible to get out there and do that. What do you think about the concept of social proof? And for those that don't know what that means, the idea of showing some sort of an aggregate share number, you know, alongside of an article, do you think that that is important to help increase shares? For example, if you go to a site and you see that 3,000 people shared this article on Facebook, do you think that there's any correlation between like a pile-on effect, if you will, like maybe I should share this too? Yeah, I, I think there is. Um, and I think, um, you know, num- numbers and, and metrics are important for the audience um, uh, just as much as they are for um, anyone else. I mean, um, look at uh, some of our your, your favorite podcasters who share uh, their financial numbers. Yep. Um, you know, and, and they're sharing their Pat finan- Flynn, literally, John Lee yeah. Dumas. I mean, they don't have to, but they do. And, and I'll tell you that I think that's half the reason they're successful because they are showing, uh, numbers and, and those could be considered just as, as, um, as, 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 as much ego metrics as, as the amount of tweets an article gets. Hmm. Um, but you know, you're along for the ride and you want to be included. Everybody wants to be included in something that's going to be successful. And if they see something that's succeeding, then absolutely, I, I I see no problem with it. I just think it 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 um it comes from a place, and the reason that they get away with doing it is because they're real, authentic, good people, and um and so they 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 can put that on there because you want to root for the good guy, and so I think it works for them. I think when you start putting things out there first, um, you lead with the ego metric instead of the value. That's where it starts to turn. Tell us a little bit about your book. Um, just give us kind of a high level of what kinds of things people would discover in the book and who it's for. Um, yeah, so this is for um, uh, marketers, entrepreneurs, um, business owners, CMOs, executives. Um, really, if it's, it's, it's in a sense, it's for anybody that wants to build their own business, whether it's a personal brand or, or the brand they're working for. And, um, and it talks through things like the emotions of sharing and, um, and, and, and different categories, especially one thing that I'm not going to release yet until the book comes out, which is an actual sharing formula. And, um, and that formula is in the book and teaches people how to, um, how to share if they follow the formula every time to be successful. How to um, share or how to get others to share? Yeah, both. Okay, cool. Both. Yes. Um, so it is going to uh, be released for the first time, that, uh, that formula on July 14th um, when the book comes out. So um, it, it's, a, it's a really, I'm really excited about it, if you can't tell. Um, it's, it's got a lot of stuff in there. And, and, um, well, and, here's and the I'm, good news. This podcast drops on July 17th. So why don't you tell people, Brian, where they can get the book? Do you have a special website? Do you have a special place you want to send them to? And the book is called Shareology. How Sharing is Powering the Human Economy, and it's by Brian Kramer, spelled B-R-Y-A-N-K-R-A-M-E-R. Um, where can they find it? Do you have any special place you want to send them? Yeah, if you want to go to shareologybook.com, uh, the book is there. Uh, well, by the time this releases, it will be there, and you can you can purchase the book uh, there and and or on Amazon. Um, I there once you purchase the book on shareologybook.com, there is a unique thing that I'm doing there, uh, which is called the Shareology Platform, um, and it is a it gives you access to a community. There's now just under a thousand people in there uh, that are learning 
everything that I'm talking about in the book. So it has everything built in, including gamification, a community, and uh, even rewards. So if you think about clout and how they give away perks, although clout's perks suck, um, this is uh, actually the good side of perks, I think, um, <laughs> if I can say that. And so there's 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 nice uh, there's nice rewards from the 10 uh, plus corporate sponsors that are helping to drive uh, this platform. And so um, there's lots of fresh new content and, and people in there that are that are and I'd invite everybody just into that if, if even anything. Awesome. Brian Kramer, author of the brand new book, Shareology. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and exploring the science and art of sharing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Do you ever wonder what marketers think about Facebook and if it's really effective or not? Well, guess what? We surveyed thousands of them and we reveal what they think about Facebook and if it's effective or not in the brand new Social Media Marketing Industry Report. You can pick up your copy of it for free. It's 52 pages long. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash report 2015. Also, if there was anything we mentioned in today's episode and you didn't catch it because you're out and about, don't worry, we take all the notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 154, that stands for episode 154, to find all those notes. Also, if you're new to the show and you're not already subscribed, hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player so you don't ever miss a future episode. If you're a regular listener to the show, we'd love it if you would consider giving us a rating and or a review. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes or socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher is a great place to go do that. Well, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.